Howdy and hello, and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and this is part two of a two-part conversation that Paul and I have where we discuss the question, is the church failing young people? So if you haven't listened to part one, I'd suggest going back and listening to that. But regardless, enjoy the episode. So if cheap grace is prevailing in one generation, there's always a few prophetic voices that are saying, no, it's costly to follow Jesus and it's hard and it's not about you and you have to make the sacrifice. And then what will happen is the pendulum will swing to the opposite side and pretty soon what we'll find is there's another generation and what they'll do with it is they'll make it this legalistic, hard-nosed, sacrifice, carry your cross kind of message and that will that will prevail that'll be predominant and the the preachers who kind of get all the um the accolades and the recognition they'll they'll be um affirmed for being hard-nosed you know they're the ones who stand up and call their generation to something bigger and more noble but in time that'll become abused and it'll start to feel very legalistic and heavy-handed and then in that that generation there'll be the few voices who you know call out for grace again but that's not that's not new or unique to this generation that's been happening since the church began yeah i think it's very cyclical you said that it was kind of a lack of understanding of grace and i think what you might have just said kind of cleared it up but i would argue that it's not it might not even be a lack of understanding, but rather just an attempt and a desire to be culturally attractive and relevant. Yes. Because rarely is culture going towards, uh, I guess, the hard-nosed, more noble direction. It's like, yes, it is. It's just it normally isn't the beginning of civilizations, (laughs) you know, at least kind of from my... The development of a civilization as it becomes more capable, it will always move toward greater and greater amounts of ease, comfort, and convenience. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's selfish, and by human nature, we're selfish. So as a society or civilization becomes more developed, they create more convenience, they create, you know, more comfort, and... People like that, and so they they make use of it. And what happens is, in some respects, and this isn't supposed to be overarching kind of statement, but the larger majority of the civilization becomes apathetic and lazy and lacks a sense of initiative. They're not; it's not as industrious, and that's how civilizations start. They start the road to decline. They start to, um, they have more people looking for the comfort, the convenience, the pleasure, the handouts, than you have the industrious, hardworking, honest, uh, day's work kind of, you know, individual. And again, that's not just America. We can, you can look at any, any civilization on any continent that's how that happens yeah because right currently and you kind of alluded to this earlier you have my generation and younger 
putting pressure on churches to become more activistic. Yes. I like that word, by the way. Well, thank you. Um, also, if you listened, never mind. I don't know where that podcast is going to fall whenever I released it, but I said a word, <laughs> and Paul said that that's not a word, and it was. It was. It was, it was paradisal. Paradisal, yes. In fact, uh, you know, to own up to it, I at dinner that night with my wife, I said, why it totally got me today. He used a word. I kind of laughed at him and said, that's not a word. And then <laughs> I went and confirmed it was a word. And, I, you know, it's a broadcast now forever. I'll be known as the idiot who corrected Wyatt on a really, really intelligent word. Yeah. Tell you so what. for anybody listening, my apologies to Wyatt for uh, not trusting that he had, in fact, run across the word paradox. What was it? Paradisal. Paradisal. So, yeah. granted, I love, I love words, and I learned something new that day. I did admit right after that that I do use words that I just made up. <laughs> but sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, the church, the young, the generations now and younger are putting pressure on the church to become more activistic. And so, it do you would you and we're seeing it in churches. Yes. And so would you say that that is a wise move in order to be be and stay or in hopes to become um attractive to the broader society and culture? No, I think it would be terribly foolish for the church to cave into that as a way to appeal. Now, should the church be more active and engaged in addressing real-world concerns, absolutely. The church can do a better job of that. But to become that as a way of winning a younger audience, I think um, it just invites trouble. Because inevitably, when you start to pursue activism, it it's going to um, eventually connect itself to one of two things, either ideology or politics. And so to pursue sort of an activistic persona as a church, you're eventually going to find yourself in hot water regarding ideologies that are embraced or affirmed that are in fact inconsistent with the truth of the scriptures, or you're ending, up, you're going to end up on an end of the political spectrum and alienate a whole segment of the population that comes from the opposite side of the aisle. And so, um, I think that the wiser path is stick to a a quest to understand the truth and the wisdom of the scriptures and then take those truths, those wise principles, and become very good at applying them to the real-life situations of a person's life. But letting the person make the choice of how they're going to then take those principles and utilize them in their personal involvement in their society. But for the church 
to make a stand around the great social issues. Um, I, I just see it as kind of a line, uh, a field of landmines that you're going to end up stepping in and doing damage to the church. Yeah, I definitely think you're going to trip over a mine eventually. You may prolong it going along with whatever the line is at that time, but it's like, and I'm sure you know this, failure to say whatever it is society's wanting you to say or stand up against or stand up for. And failure to say or go along with it or applying something, applying scripture in what you believe to be accurate to the scenario that isn't just whatever the tagline is, whatever whatever society's saying to say, you already put yourself on one side of the aisle. Yeah, because it's just getting that dicey yeah. these days. We're so polarized, everything's so partisan, that even to remain silent on an issue, um, your critics are going to just assume and infer where you must be. And I'm living in that tension right now. I'm, I'm in a kind of a dicey quandary of trying to figure out um, my message as a messenger of the truth and what I need to speak to that I believe poses danger to Christians in the 21st century, and yet doing it without... Um, people making these immediate assumptions of where I must come from politically or where I come from uh, ideologically. Yeah. Is that a word? Ideologically. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it, it's the, the landscape of preaching these days has become very, very volatile just in what you not only what you say but in what you don't say and here's here's a case in point and this is a really touchy topic like Mm -hmm. really really touchy topic we love those and so you know not too many months ago there was a lot of fervor around the whole black lives matter thing the movement the the whole spirit of that and i was not comfortable owning it like it was being owned. Yeah. I, I was not comfortable as a leader of a church owning it. I, I knew some things. I understood some things about it as a uh, an organization that I, I perceived and believed were completely incompatible with both the scriptures and the call of Christ. And I was wanting to be a voice for all lives matter. But even at that, if you will remember, at the height of all of that fervor around Black Lives Matter, the person who said no, all lives matter, they got castigated, yeah, for not taking a stand on behalf of BLM. And I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't, because the truth of the scriptures is, all lives matter, black. Asian, white, whatever race, whatever nationality, what God wants us to understand is that they all matter, and one doesn't matter more than the other. And when you start wanting to champion one over the other, you are, in fact, creating 
an avenue to an abuse and a and running far afield from the essence of the truth of the scriptures. And I took it on the chin big for not, you know, rallying around the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement and cause and, and, and all of that that was in the press and in the media and, and in, you know, um, the social world at the time. Because I, in my heart, I just, I knew it was going to land the church in places that the church shouldn't be as far as, you know, um, partnerships. And, and you know, I think I'm seeing some of the, the backwash of that, is that as the organization Black Lives Matter was sort of shown to be for the truth about what it really was and yep. what it is, there were a lot of churches having to backpedal or distance themselves from these things that just a few months earlier they were, you know, they were making a big deal about. And I was trying to protect Cibolo Creek from having to backpedal. And part of, you know, not a part, but like a, a an integral part of my heart was, no, what I believe is all lives matter, and that's what followers of Jesus must embrace, is the value of all human beings, regardless of race, gender, history, um, all lives matter in the sight of God. And uh, it just got so confusing and manipulated and ugly at the height of all of that, that it didn't matter how you said or what you said or whether you didn't say anything. I got the emails and the cards and the letters and you know, the departures from our church and, you know, the conversations about my poor leadership or my lack of courage or my, you know, stubborn politics. I, I got it all. And I was just trying my best to not allow us to go down a path that I didn't think was consistent with the scriptures. It's interesting that, like, lack of courage is levied because at least to me, it takes more courage not to say something or to say whatever you actually think is true rather than whatever is being essentially force-fed to you than it does to just say it, you know? Whatever society... Like, to, to not go along with society, I think, takes more courage than to go along with society. Oh, without a doubt. And so, I don't know, it's just interesting to me that that was levied at you. And but, you read the New Testament, and that's what the New Testament teaches, is yeah. that... A Christ follower was going to essentially live his entire life running upstream to his culture. Uh, first century Christians were being called out of a certain religious culture and being invited to follow Jesus, which didn't look anything like they had known. And that's the conversation of courage in the New Testament is that you have courage in your God. You have courage in the promises that he made. You have courage in what you understand to be the truth. So don't be intimidated. Don't be bullied. Don't stand down. Don't shut up. Speak forth. Speak loudly. Speak clearly. Speak with courage. That doesn't mean you need to be a jerk. It doesn't mean you need to be you know, hateful or aggressive or insensitive, but don't don't be quiet about the truth because 
you know, the New Testament saying it's the truth that will set people free. They need to hear it in order to not only be set free from the deception that's captured in their ideology, but their soul needs to be redeemed, and the truth for that redemption is Jesus. So he must be lifted up. He must be declared. Be courage- The New Testament church, I think the letters are saying, be courageous in what you've come to believe. Yeah. Because it is true. It's not popular. It's not what everybody else in society is saying, but it is true. So be an ambassador of it, and it may go really, really poorly for you on this earth, but in heaven it will be worth it. Yeah, and that's so true because I, I had this thought the other day. I was trying to figure out how, or I guess, what's the what's a big problem with just focusing on the love of Christ? It's like, well, there's a lot of problems with that. But one thing that I kind of identified is that if if you don't establish, or if the church or, or a group of people don't establish what they believe to be true, what the truth is, then whenever you invite people into it, you, where are you calling them? Right. What direction are they supposed to go? Or are they just there now? It's like, congrats, you've received the free gift. Well, now what? And I think that's what a lot of younger generations are wondering. It's like, well, is there, a, is there an upward direction I can go? Because I don't like this stagnation. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So my observation is that the era that we're in right now, it's the love of God that's being raised up as the supreme virtue. And unfortunately, the righteousness or the holiness of God is being diminished. And so that's how you get a generation that approves and affirms and applauds people out of a sense of love. But those people are living lives completely incompatible with the design of God. That's, that's how you get there. You raise up love and you forfeit righteousness and holiness. And um, so, you know, that's, that's how we got there. And it'll be interesting to see how many years it takes to come back toward the, you know, a more um, honest reflection of the scriptures. Or a more honest reflection of the heart of God as described. In, yeah, a balance. Yeah, I was thinking about that yesterday. I was reading through because you have this idea of free gift or grace or love of God, but then you also have what Jesus calls us to do, which is follow Him. Which means, or like like His call for Abraham, it's like, well, leave leave your family and your homeland and go out to the place I've called you. Well, you, yeah. there's a direction to go, and so you have these two things, and this one requires sacrifice. This one is easy on your end, but it was a high price paid by Christ, and so. You said a pendulum. The pendulum swings between the two, and so finding that balance in between is, I think, is I think the key. And I think we're coming down from the left swing towards coming down from the love side, more back towards the middle. But I don't know how. Only because we're starting to see the you know the backwash and its implications, oh. its complications. Um, so it's interesting in the Old Testament. And the New Testament, there's these um, pictures that I think are relevant. In the Old Testament, the picture is that of a plumb line. So an, a heavy object hung on the end of a string that they use for building. 
straight lines and walls and, you know, houses and stuff. So the plumb line in the Old Testament is this illustration of this is, this is your mark. You execute from this. This is straight. Um, in the New Testament, it's the cornerstone. Same sort of, you know, construction um, reference. But basically the cornerstone is the one that was laid and then all of the others were laid in relationship to it. So uh, Christ is the cornerstone, um, described as the, the stone that the builders ultimately ended up rejecting. We didn't like the standard. We didn't want to have to execute against that reference point. But that's the, that's the illustration of the New Testament is the, the cornerstone is the truth of Jesus. So then you, 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 um, you measure and you reference all of life in regards to the truth of Jesus and his way. And that's the call of a Christian is not to, um, not to be so quick to uh, love their culture and society and its reflection in people's lives, but to love them in reference to the cornerstone. And the cornerstone says, hey, this lifestyle, this value, this attitude, these words, these are incompatible with how I'm building this building. So if it doesn't fit, we're not going to do it. And that's, that's the courage of a Christian is to say, yeah, what you're asking me to believe, what you're asking me to value, what you're asking me to prioritize or accept, approve, and applaud, it, it's not consistent with the cornerstone. Therefore, I cannot affirm it. Mm. And I think we're seeing, going back to our, you know, the topic of our discussion, I think we're seeing a lot of this confusion, misunderstanding, misapplication on the part of a younger generation because truth of the matter is they haven't really been immersed in the scriptures yeah well and it's all i guess the part that's surprising to a lot of people it's like the more accepting society as a whole has become and the church has become the more that that's increased the more love the more whatever you want to say whichever of those taglines you want to say as those have increased so has confusion depression, suicide, um, lack of direction, loneliness, anxiety. All of those things have increased simultaneously. And from what I've seen and why I think a lot of people have just left the church, a lot of young people, if I've talked to friends, like, well, the, the church isn't really offering anything higher either, the church broadly. And so yeah, it's a real problem. But that's that's kind of what I see as being an issue is that well or i guess uh, not, not an issue but the consequence of doing so it's like well now no one has any any direction they're anxious about that they're depressed because of that they feel useless they don't have anything to build themselves like you said they don't have anything to reference to yeah to build themselves up to make themselves better um and to, and to serve a, a higher more glorious purpose than themselves so they just don't do anything yes or they do a lot of things, but none of them really matter. Yep. 
And that ranges from either a life that's totally self-absorbed in, you know, the pursuit of pleasure and entertainment, or that's a life that's this overbearing, activistic sort of uh, pursuit of causes that, at the end of the day, neither glorify God or count for eternity. So you've misspent your life. You may have done it with a lot of zeal and passion, but you misspent your life in relationship to the cornerstone. Yep. And and so, you know, I as a pastor and preacher, these are the things that I think a lot about, and I'm trying to, I'm not saying I've, I've figured it out by any stretch, but these are things that I'm honestly and diligently trying not to make the mistake of doing is how do I continue to preach my understanding of God's truth as defined in the scriptures and have the courage to speak out and against the stuff that I feel like is posing a real threat to, you know, the, the authenticity of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And knowing that at times I'll step into it or step on it, step in it, I guess. <laughs> and I'm going to get the reaction because there's people who don't want to hear it that way or they don't agree with it. And so I either get, you know, I get the emails or the phone calls to say, I think you were totally off base and you shouldn't talk about those things. Or they just, they just leave a church because they don't want to be around that. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I think one of the things that we could all get better at doing that would run most countercultural is not necessarily in these words, but to tell people, hey, you're you're capable of a lot more, or or it's basically the opposite of you're not fine how you are. Right. But God loves you despite how you are. But he's calling you to a lot more. And then Tell them they're capable of actually being able to grow up in a grow up towards the image of Christ, towards something higher than themselves. I think that is almost the most counter to what society would want you to say, and, and focusing in on that would provide a lot of uh, meaning and purpose to a young generation that's lost yeah, all sense of that. Oh yeah, because if you look at like the young a younger generation's habits around social media, what is its greatest appeal? Is everybody being exactly like everybody else. And so it is a very unique thing for somebody to go against the flow and um, swim upstream and be the outlier of what so many, many people chase after in a certain popularity and identity with what everybody looks like, thinks like, acts like. And we're just seeing that it's it's not fruitful. It's not panning out. Yeah. And understanding, too, like, whenever I really sit and I think, okay, I could be a lot more than I am right now. At first, I'm like, ugh, that kind of stings. But then I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's amazing because now I know there's a place I can go and I can, I can figure out how to actually get there rather than just, it's like, I've heard this illustration and maybe I've talked about it. It's like you're just thrown out in the ocean 
and you can't see land in any direction. That's what most people feel like they're living in. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of younger people. There's no direction for them to go. And if the current blows that way, well, okay, well, they'll go that way. But other than that, they're just treading water and eventually they're going to get tired. Mm-hmm. But being able to provide, hey, there's a lighthouse or say a city on a hill for another metaphor that might be applicable. Somebody knew what they were talking about. Um, there's a direction you can go. Start swimming that way. Somebody in that scenario, that would be literally life-saving. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Going back to what I just said, you just look at, you know, a reference point of social media. All that stuff is shared with uh, the desire for approval and affirmation. I mean, that's what the collection of likes is all about. Look, I got 8,000 likes. I've got 3 million followers. It's ultimately some dopamine rush of approval. Yeah. And then everybody who's watching that person's popularity rise, what are, what are they more inclined to do? Oh, I'm going to go find my shtick. Yeah, I'm going to start doing my thing so that I can get. And so, yeah whatever is popular a lot of people go chasing after it in the hopes of the likes and the approval and it does take a very unique particularly a young person it's uh it takes a very unique young person to go you know what i'm not going to chase after that i'm going to i'm going to pursue christ and my best understanding of what he looks like in a world that's really confused and i may never I may never have 10,000 followers or a million followers. I may never even be on social media because I'm following Christ. I don't need that. I don't mean to brag, but I did get 5,000 views on a reel the other day. <laughs> did you? Yeah. I, I want to be like you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> 5,000. No, well, the most I've ever gotten is like 30. On oh, the wow. church's Instagram. Yeah, it's not even attached to me. Nobody knows it's me. Well, some know that it's me posting it, but, but well, yeah. Well, thank you for your contribution to the, the kingdom. greater visibility of our church. Just what I'm doing for the kingdom, Paul. There you go. Just what I'm doing. <laughs> well, we might continue this conversation again, but any last thoughts um, on this? Uh, yeah, I got a few more thoughts. Um when we talk about is the church failing a younger generation, I'd say yes. But I'd also say the blame can't rest solely on the church. And I'm not trying to deflect blame because I just openly declared, yes, the church is failing a yep. younger generation at some level. But part of that blame rests on parents mm. and a family and a home. Um, when you think about, I forget, the very few number of hours that a kid actually spends at church compared to how many hours he spends at home, it's it's not even in the same ballpark. Yep. It's like 30-some versus thousands. And um, so parents who are unengaged, parents who are, quote-unquote, compromised in their devotion of following Jesus, parents who are inattentive to what their kids are watching and listening to and who, who they're hanging out with and 
this is sort of laissez-faire, do whatever you want. I just want to be your friend. I don't want to be your parent. We're, we're reaping the whirlwind of a whole generation of parents who haven't taken seriously the stewardship of being a mentor to their kids to the degree that they should. And the parent, the parents who have really bent over backwards to make sure that their their child is comfortable and has it easy and gets to do all the things that he wants. Well, ultimately that's going to create a real self-serving consumer oriented mindset. And you bring that into church and you're just never going to like church. Yeah. Cause the church wasn't designed to be a consumer oriented product. And, um, so some of the blame of what we're doing by way of losing a generation, yes, the church has contributed to that. But I think also there has to be some um, responsibility shared by parents who haven't created a context and been diligent at uh, mentoring their child. Uh, as, you know, um, as Paul writes in, in Ephesians, you know, to bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. They, they haven't done that. They've neglected that. Uh, the, the other thing that I was going to say as part of this conversation is you, you can't, you just, you're so naive if you ignore the powerful influence of culture and its detrimental effect on your life. Mm-hmm. From music to media to lifestyle to all of the things, culture is just this ever-present, seductive and sinister influence. And for the person who just sort of drifts through life and thinks culture doesn't have any impact, it's naive. And the whole time, you know, it's that old illustration of the, the frog in a, in a kettle or the frog in a pan. Culture's just heating up slowly the the pressure that it's placing on the frog and he just boils himself to death. And I see, again, as a pastor, you sit in a certain seat and you kind of watch your congregation and you hear the stories and you see the patterns and you, you, you get all the, the data. And what we're seeing is, is a whole generation of Christians who've been very apathetic and lackadaisical about pursuing Christ. Mm -hmm. And the consequences is because their mind is not occupied where it should be, culture is filled in that void. And it's led a whole generation of Christians to end up living lives that don't really look all that different from their, you know, unregenerate friends and neighbors, other than the fact they go to church on Sunday but they have the same values, the same priorities, the same attitudes, they use the same words, they they pursue the same, you know, recreation and leisure and pleasure and and entertainment and consequently then the church loses its edge. And like I shared last Sunday when we started this series, uh, pay it forward, um, when the church loses its edge, the the, one of the grave consequences of that is we lose a generation. Yeah, because they haven't 
they haven't heard and they haven't seen and it hasn't been modeled and mentored for them to know what a devoted follower of Christ looks like. They just have what they have and they assume, well, there's, they're the big people, so they must be doing it right. And the big people aren't doing it right. So then as the big people die off, this younger generation grows into the next generation and the church is even weaker and quieter and, and less of a force for good in the world. And I, I, I don't know. It breaks my heart. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's why I, it always rubs me the wrong way when the people say the church should stay out of cultural topics. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like That's where you spend 99% of your time, but the yeah. church isn't supposed to talk about it? What do you mean? What? Yeah. That's how you become irrelevant. And it's like, well, you have to stay out of it unless you agree with the taglines of today. And it's like, so I can be in, I just have to say what you want me to say. Yeah. Okay, you're a bouncer to cultural discussion. Got it. Yeah, so read the New Testament. Read new, the, reading the New Testament, it was written against the backdrop of race, gender, and class. So it was written to a culture to a society, to a politic, and to an ideology. And so this, this I, I don't get it, just like you said. I don't get it where the preacher has to remain silent about these things. And the only thing that typically the ones who are calling for the silence is because the preacher's speaking to something that's incompatible with their current politic yeah, or ideology. Or inconvenient about their current ideology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're challenging it, and they don't like that, so then they ask you to be quiet. It's interesting. It is. Well, anything else? No. Thanks. This is a good conversation. And, yeah. uh, again, if any of our listeners are – um, interested this this new series we we just finished week one of it um, paying it forward is our church um, addressing the priority of of investing in our next generation of children and students and what I'm trying to do is get the uh, the big people to take ownership for the lives and the well-being of our you know little people and um I, you know, I believe that that's how the church was designed to work. And uh, I think some great things could come through a church that figures it out and has a real cross-generational experience for everybody involved. Because in the end, if, if you do it well, I mean, discipleship, as Jesus talked about, is largely about mentoring, mentoring the spiritual well-being of another person. Yeah. So the church that can figure it out from across generations rather than always siloing, you know, old people, you go over here, young people, you go over here, middle people, you go over here. Instead of silent, uh, siloing all the generations, and there's a time and a place for that, but learning a certain culture of cross-generational exposure to each other, the old people win based on their experience of what they learn from the young people and the young people win based on what they learn from the old people. And, um, I, I think I see 
that in the New Testament, and we're actually talking about that this Sunday. And so, um, if you if you don't follow if you're not following our series, I'd encourage you to do that because I, I think we're we're learning some things that yeah. could be helpful. I agree. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.